I have to say that uh, you know a lawyer is serious when he says he'd do something for a whole day for free. Right? You know, that's, uh, that's so Bryce, thank you. And just really excited about that, excited about what God is doing through Christianity Explored. Uh, the book of Ephesians is this incredible book. And as Simon introduced that a couple of weeks ago, we learned uh, that it was written effectively 10 years after Paul had finished his, his ministry time there. He was there for about three years, and about 10 years after that, he wrote this book. He wrote it to tell them how to stand strong in the mission God had for them. He gave them this incredible description of this is what the church is like now through the church. And there is this amazing kind of systematic way. The first half is all kind of theology. The second half is application. But oh, how rich the theology. And how incredible the application. Is that my phone? Please me, not my phone. No? Oh, it's down here somewhere. Okay, how embarrassing. (laughs) Oh, you know that horrible thought? (laughs) Where was I? I was somewhere in Ephesus, which is probably a good place to be right now, yeah. Um, Okay, let's find it. (laughs) Okay, I'll I'll start before you start singing. That's good. Um, One of the things which... You might notice if you, you kind of track mission, particularly into, into unreached people areas, is that what often happens is there is this uh, lack of good leadership. And so what happens is people will come in and they'll train people who say, well, we can lead a group of people. We can be a pastor for a church in a village. And they'll get trained in, in something over the next three weeks, and they'll go back in for the next six months. That's what they'll teach the village. That's what they'll teach their church. They'll come back. They'll get more training. They'll go away. That's what they'll teach. You know what that is? It's called discipleship. And you know, it strikes me as we go through the book of Ephesians that that's what you and I could be doing. Because so often in our Western culture, we say, oh, I don't know how to disciple people. I don't know what to do. And, And let me just tell you this. That is as simple as this. What you learn each week, you could pass on to someone else. And as we go through this book, So far, we've learned that we've been chosen by the Father. Well, there's a discussion to have. And then we've learned the second week, we've learned that we've been redeemed by the Son. There's a discussion to have. And this week, we're going to learn what it means to be sealed by the Spirit. There's a discussion to have. There's three weeks of discipleship you've got right there. You know, can I encourage us as people? To not only be praying for those who who don't yet know Christ, but also, God, how do you want me to influence and build up those around me? And I say, what do I do? Why don't you just talk through what we're doing here? We've even got questions in the life group notes. You can go onto onto the website. You can download some questions. It's all there. Package deal. How to disciple people. The book of Ephesians is so powerful. Let's read verses 11 through 14, which is the section we're working on today. Verse 11, it says this, In him... We were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession 
to the praise of his glory. Now, a few months ago, we had a family 21st in Auckland. And Sarah and I uh, said to our kids, well, you drive up to Auckland. That's the great thing to do, but we're going to fly. And we did. And we, we also booked into a hotel. It was a hotel that, that Sarah's mum and dad were staying at. My in-laws were staying at. And so we thought, well, this is great. We'll fly up and say, well, because they drove up as well. They spent some time in Taupo. They went to Auckland. We said, well, Dad, could you, could you pick us up from the airport and take us to the hotel? Well, what you need to know is that my father-in-law is a planner. And he said this. He said, don't worry about anything. It's all sorted. We are so glad that you're staying with us. And we've planned a great couple of days for you with us in Auckland. Now, I was actually quite excited about this. This is a good deal. So they picked us up from the airport, and we we had hardly sat in the back of his Honda Legacy leather seats. Then he said, now, you must be hungry. Well, Jen and I, we've thought of a great place to go for lunch. So we went to lunch in this great place. I paid, just so you know, right? Good son-in-law. And then after that, we did some other things in the afternoon. And then uh, they said, oh, and we've chosen a restaurant for us to go to at that night. So, so we went to the restaurant at night. And, and when it came to paying at that, I, you know, I've perfected that technique. If you know, you're, you're just not quite as eager and they can get in and cut you off with a credit card. Anybody ever done that? Right? You, know, you know what I'm talking about. So, so he paid for that, but I paid for everything else. So just we're clear. <laughs> they transported us to the, to the party and back again. We had breakfast with them. They took us to church on Sunday, and that was arranged, and they got us back to the airport in plenty of time because he was committed to making sure we didn't miss our flight going home. You see, he'd thought of everything to bless us. And traveling around as we did, and we sat in the back of the car, you could, you could tell the joy and the delight that Sarah's mum and dad had by blessing us with this plan that they'd thought about to take us around Auckland as they'd dreamt it up. And now, we could have spent the entire time with them wondering and worrying about the rest of the family, thinking, but their other brothers and sisters aren't here. What are they going to think? We could have pondered, well, they might be offended. You know, where, what about them? Are they getting a meal paid for? Are they, how's that all working out? And what that would have done would have diminished the joy of the moment. And it would have stolen from the expression of love that our parents wanted to put on us. You see, we chose to enjoy it, trusting that they cared as much for the rest of their family as they do for us. In him, we were chosen. Having been predestined according to the plan of him, who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. The point of that is this. You've been chosen. Revel in it. Enjoy it. The point of predestination, which Simon covered a couple of weeks ago on this, is it's not who is predestined. Rather, it's what we are predestined to. We're predestined, we're chosen, we're redeemed for the praise of his glory. Let's trust God that he knows what he's doing when he chooses. 
As D.L. Moody once said in the great evangelistic prayer, Lord, save the elect, then elect some more. And I think that's probably the attitude we have on that highly controversial issue. Then Paul goes on in verse 13, he says, we're included in Christ. Well, how are we included in Christ? Well, firstly, it's when we hear the message and we understand this message of truth. And the truth is this, that God created you and God chooses you. The truth is this, that living in relationship with God is true life. The truth is this, we are born in Adam, which means we are born in sin. The truth is this, that Jesus came in love to buy us back, to redeem us, to set us free, to pour his riches on us. We are chosen, we are redeemed. Jesus in John 10.10 said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. That is truth, that is reality. There was a a Russian author, a woman, Ayn Rand, who said this, we can ignore reality, but we cannot ignore the consequences of ignoring reality. And when we entrust ourselves to truth, and we surrender our lives to truth, we believed. We were firmly persuaded of the reality of truth. See, here's what happens in that moment, when you understand all that I've just said, and you come to that moment of saying, I believe, what happens is this, you are born again. And the Bible here in Ephesians chapter 13, Ephesians chapter 1 says, in that moment, you are marked with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Now, to be marked means this, that you are delivered over safely. It means you are approved and you are confirmed as genuine. And God is saying, when you believe, he says, you're the genuine real deal. And he says this, the seal is the proof and the confirmation of authenticity. He marks you, he seals you. You're mine. Yeah, there are three things that that we can learn around this marking, this sealing. In three other verses in the New Testament, Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 says this. He says, it is a seal of ownership, which is our security. He anointed us. He set his seal of ownership on us. He put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. That idea of anointing is the idea of covering. He has covered us. Yeah, if you like that idea of, yeah, when we're outside of Christ, we're, we're naked in our shame. When we come to Christ, we are covered in Him. We're anointed in Him. We're sealed. And He has put the Spirit in our heart as a deposit to guarantee what is to come. You know what that says? That says you are utterly secure. It says if God has saved you, you can't unsave yourself. If God has has redeemed you, God has chosen you, it doesn't matter what might come, it doesn't matter what it is, neither height nor depth, neither principalities nor powers, nothing can separate you from the love of God. You are secure. Do you know that today? Do you know that you are secure in Him? Secondly, it talks in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it talks about us being baptized by the Spirit. And this baptism is a baptism into community. It is a baptism into the church, for we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body. 
whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. Here's the beauty of it. When you are born naturally and you, you appear miraculously, though my wife wouldn't say miraculously, she'd say it's a lot of hard work. But when you appear miraculously into this world and you draw your first breath and your lungs begin to work, you, you are alive physically in that moment. And, and then what happens is that you, you become part of a community. You were born into a community. It's called your family. And as Jesus said, the analogy is the same. When you come to Christ, you are born and you are alive and you start to breathe and you are born into a family. What is that family? It is called his body. It is called the church. You know, sometimes people say, I don't like the church, which actually logically doesn't make sense because what you're saying is I don't like myself. You say, I don't belong in the church. Well, how does that work? Because you are the church. How can you not belong in yourself? It's because we have a faulty view of the church. We think the church is those people. We think the church is an institution. We think the church is a building. We think the church is a whole lot of rules and regulations. The church is not that. The church is you and me. If you're blood bought by Jesus Christ, you are the church. Now learn to live in it. Thirdly, we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And this gives us our precious identity. In Romans chapter 8, verse 9, it says this, You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, there's a question there. See, if you've been born again, then the Spirit of God lives in you. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. You know, when someone says to you, well, I'm a follower of Jesus, or if they say to you, you know, you're a follower of Jesus, they say, yes, they well, now you need to have the Holy Spirit. That doesn't make sense theologically. If you've been born again, the Holy Spirit is in you. You're sealed by the Holy Spirit. You're baptized by the Spirit into the body. And you're indwelt by the Spirit, which gives you this identity. You see, the presence of the Holy Spirit confirms your identity. Now, you and I know that the idea of a deposit, which it talks about here in Ephesians, could lead some to suggest that this is it. I've got my ticket. And I'll patiently wait for my eternal inheritance. No transformation of life. No making a difference in my world. I'll just come as I am and I'm going to stay that way. Well, what does the presence of the Holy Spirit who seals, who baptizes, and who indwells the believer mean? Let's go back to the book of Acts. And let's go back to that moment where Paul met the church at Ephesus. Acts chapter 19, it says this, While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. When he was there, he found some disciples. And he asks them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they answered, No, we've not even heard there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, Well then, what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues, and they prophesied. And it goes on, says there are about 12 of them, and the church in Ephesus was born. Here's my thing. As I read that, 
This is the question I ask. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, often when we're reading this passage, we read it and we kind of skip over that because we get down to the bit where the Spirit comes on and we're laying on of hands. But let's back up the truck and just sit on this question for a minute. Why did Paul ask that question? What was he seeing or not seeing in them which would lead him to ask that question? If what he wrote later on is true, but if they've believed and they have therefore received the Holy Spirit, why would he ask this question, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? It's a contradiction. That doesn't make sense. What's he asking? Maybe look at it in another way. If they had received the Holy Spirit, what would Paul have expected to see? What do you see in people who have received the Holy Spirit? Well, you can do a study through the New Testament, and there is something like 350 references to the Spirit in the New Testament. And with the joys of of modern technology, whether it's Google or Blue Letter Bible or Logos or whatever it is, you can print that out on about 18 pages, and you can highlight it. I've done it. It was so fun. And let me give you a summary before you think I'm going to take you through 18 pages of verses. Here's a summary of the work of the Spirit. The Spirit gives life. He fills us with joy. He brings freedom, and He transforms our character through the provision of love, power, and self-discipline. The Spirit empowers people, and He emboldens them to speak God's Word. He speaks through people as He reminds them of Jesus' words, revealing to us the spiritual realities of God. The Spirit pours God's love into our hearts, and He tells our spirit that we are God's children, causing us to overflow with hope and enabling us to worship. The Spirit governs our lives, bringing life and peace by giving us wisdom and revelation as He strengthens us with God's power. The Spirit equips us with His gifts for the building up and maturing of the church, which He is forming us into as He compels us into service through Him. The Spirit enables us to pray, and He prays for us when we don't know what to pray. He brings conviction and He purifies us. He sets us apart for God so that we are seen by everyone as followers of Jesus Christ. I wonder what Paul wasn't seeing when he saw them. The deposit and the sealing of the Spirit is far more than a ticket in your back pocket to clip at eternity's gate. If you are born again, there will be evidence of his presence and his work in your life. To get a picture of this, let me take you back to Genesis. And to understand the ongoing ministry of the Holy Spirit who has sealed us and baptized us and has deposited as a guarantee of our inheritance, let me introduce you to Abraham's servant. In Genesis chapter 24, Abraham, two chapters earlier, had had taken his son Isaac up onto Mount Moriah, and there God had wanted, wanted Abraham to show his dependency on him by potentially sacrificing Isaac. But just in the moment where Abraham, in utter surrender, was about to do it, God says, stop, I'll provide the lamb. And Abraham comes down off the mountain, 
And the next thing we, we hear of Abraham is he's saying to his servant, he's saying, I want a bride for my son. I want you to go to our land. And I want you to find her. She's going to be beautiful. And I want you to identify her. And I want you to invite her. And I want you to bring her back so that she can be joined with my son. And the servant, commissioned by Abraham, travels from his homeland, loaded with all kinds of good gifts and good things. And there, in a divine encounter next to a well, he discovers Rebekah. And in that moment, the servant invites her and says, would you come with me and be married to my master's son? And she says yes, and he lavishes her with gifts. And he comes to her, and and then she leaves with him. She entrusts herself into the care and the guidance of the servant, whose mission it was, was to present her to the father's son. The Bible never tells us about the journey back. It tells us about the start. It tells us about the end. But just imagine with me for a little. Imagine what it would be like, the servant and the bride, as they travel together. Could you imagine Rebecca turning to him at some point and saying, what's he like? And he turned to her and said, I know him so well. Let me tell you all about him. You can imagine her at some point as the journey's long and it's hard and it's difficult. Maybe she'd turn to him and she'd say, are we actually going to make it? And he'd turn to her and he'd say, I have everything you need. You're under my care. You're completely secure. You can imagine her in some moments having those self-doubt moments, and she says, do you think I'll be good enough? I can imagine the servant turning to her and saying, let me remind you, I chose you, and it's my joy to remind you as much as you need to hear it, that you are the desire of his heart. But what if I'm not ready, she says. And he looks at her and he grins and he says, don't worry, I've got this one. You are simply by journeying with me and following me, being transformed into the most beautiful bride my master could ever see. When you heard and believed the servant of Jesus, the Holy Spirit sealed you. He came into your life as a deposit, guaranteeing your inheritance, and will be with you every step of the way until one day you and I come face to face with Jesus Christ. These are the riches planned by the Father, purchased by the Son, presented by the Holy Spirit. However, as incredible as the plans and the provision of God may be for this life, 
unless we claim and receive those provisions through the Holy Spirit, they are useless to us. Paul's question, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? To resolve that tension, there are a number of possibilities around that question. One is that they weren't saved. That they had believed in John's baptism, which is what it says. And that they had endeavored to live a religious life. That they had had tried to do things. Their heart was in the right place. They just didn't have all the information. And so Paul presents that to them. And then in that moment says, now you need to know who the Holy Spirit is. Another option is simply this, that theologically they just didn't know. And here was a moment as God is continuing to birth the church to say, you know what, Ephesus church, Gentile church, you need to know the power of God. We're going to lay our hands on you and you're going to know what it is to receive the Spirit of God. Here's the question for you, though. What are you believing? Maybe you're sitting here this morning and if you're honest, you've believed in your parents' faith. Maybe you've never come yourself to a place of saying, I have heard and believe in Jesus. Everything you've done has been about your parents' faith. You've just, you just lived history. You've lived tradition. And that descriptor, of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, of all that he does in and through us, that's foreign to you. You've never felt that. You've, you've lived your Christian life working so hard to keep up. And this morning, here's my, my plea to you. It's not about you working so hard. It's about you receiving the gift that God has given you. Would you give your life to Christ this morning? Maybe you've believed in committing to church community. Maybe you have, have decided that I, I love this community. I love, I love what happens here. I'm going to commit to the community. And maybe you, it, the penny has never dropped for you. That actually, it's not about the community first. It's about him first. Maybe for you, you've not yet believed in him. Maybe for you, you're believing and doing great things for God. Maybe for you, it's your faith walk has been, well, I'm going to do great things. And deep down in your heart, if you're really honest, what you're doing is you're trying to build a ledger. You're trying to keep the balance on the good as opposed to the bad. And you have this relentless pursuit of, if I can do enough stuff, maybe I'll be okay for him. It's not about that. It's about believing in the one you've heard about. Do you believe in him? Before we go any further, would you bow your heads with me? Is that you this morning? This is your moment. To right here, right now, get it right. To right here, right now, say, God, I want to surrender my life to you. I'm just going to give you some words. I'm going to lead us into prayer. And these words can be your expression of belief. Belief not in tradition, not in your family history, not in, not in community, and not in doing great things. Belief in Him 
belief in what he has done. Would you pray these words after me? Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I thank you that you came for me. You chose me. I surrender my life to you. I turn from living the way I've lived. You call that sin. And I turn to you. You call that righteousness. I thank you. You have anointed me right now, forgiven me right now, sealed me right now, baptized me right now. I thank you. I am yours. Jesus, this I pray in your name. Amen. If you prayed that before you're done this morning, would you come and would you say, that was me this morning. I've surrendered my life to Christ. Now there's more. These wonderful experiences of the Holy Spirit, they are for us now. The release and coming to Christ and knowing that you are totally forgiven. The times of worship where you're smitten in awe of Jesus. Those moments when you follow the Spirit's leading and you find yourself wonderfully used by Him. The satisfaction in finding your life and your character being transformed by His presence through His power. They are all wonderful experiences you and I can expect and we have as right through the Holy Spirit now. But I want to tell you this. As wonderful as they are, they are only a foretaste of what's to come. There is a hope of eternity when we experience full redemption, Sarah used this verse last week in 1 Corinthians 2, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. There is incredible riches we have right now, and we must greedily, by right, grab hold of everything the Holy Spirit has for us. And if you haven't done that, can I encourage you before the end of today to do so? But I want to tell you, the most magnificent experience of God's presence you have right now, when we get to eternity, it'll be like, you've got to be kidding, it was only that. Do you realize how incredible eternity will be? And you know what? It's all for the praise of his glory. Everything we've talked about in these past four weeks is for the praise of his glory. The fact that we're chosen is for the praise of his glory. The fact that we're redeemed is for the praise of his glory. The fact that we're sealed is for the praise of his glory. Do you want to know what for, for the praise of his glory means? Because it's just such a, yeah, what does that mean? I mean, kind of like, do you know? You know, I didn't either. So I, I looked it up. I thought, what? Give, me, give me kind of like an English sort of thing. Here's what for the praise of his glory means. It means for the applause of his character. It means that when we see all that God does, we applaud his character. It's like he stands in the middle of the room and we look at him and we yell and shout and scream as loud as we can because he is so incredibly magnificent. You got it. One day, one day the seal will be broken and the bride will be presented having been led and governed and equipped and transformed and enabled through life. And we, the bride, will be presented before the throne. And the Son 
will be on the throne. As we, the church, people from every language and tribe and people and nation will bow before him and will join with all of creation and every creature and heaven and on earth will resound with the applause of his character. We will sing new songs, unrestrained joy and delight will be our reality. Question, here and now, are you nurturing your relationship with the Holy Spirit? Are you nurturing your relationship with the Holy Spirit? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a piece of bread and a cup of juice. And as you hold that, here's what I want you to think about. I want you to think about the fact that as you do that, what you are doing is you are joining with the whole of eternity applauding the character of God. You are joining an uncontainable throng of all of creation saying, worthy is the Lamb. You are joining with the hosts of the angels who are saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lamb. You are joining with all of creation who are saying salvation belongs to our God. And as you take those two emblems, those two symbols, the symbol of his life and of his death, the symbol of his his mercy and his grace, the symbol of his love and his forgiveness, you are, in doing that, you are applauding him. So let's do that. Let's applaud him. And as you take it and go back to your seat, Jamie and the team, they're going to lead us in worship. And then I, can I encourage you right now, let, let, me, let me do this as, as best I know how. You are free. You say, what do I mean by that? What are you on about? All right, Dave's already gets it. Right. You are free to applaud him. And I think some of us haven't yet lived because we haven't learned how to applaud him. Because we do it in such a Kiwi way. And I know that New Zealand is God's own. But I just wonder if God's own people sometimes forget about God when it comes to applauding him. You know what? You were created to applaud him. The Holy Spirit wants to indwell, inhabit, invade the praise of his people. That's you. He wants to invade you this morning. Are you nurturing the Spirit? As we applaud him, before we finish, either Simon or I are going to get up right at the end and we're going to say, you know what? Do you want to nurture the, the presence of the Spirit in your life? We're going to invite you to come forward. And as, as an eldership and as a staff, we just want to lay hands and say, God, would you enable this person to nurture the presence of the Holy Spirit in their life? Would you lead them and guide them? And this morning, your commitment might be to walk out here going, you know what? I just want to pursue him with everything I have. He's sealed me. He's identified me. He's baptized me. I want to live powerfully in him with all that he has for me. That's where we're going. So let's share communion.
Let's applaud him and then let's seek him. Would you stand with me?